show because I want to know how far I can get away from the mic. I generally walk when I speak. You know, you're right. There's totally a chord right there. That is definitely a chord. And then I'd be all right. There we go. Yeah. That'd be just fine. Are we still talking? Are we good? Good? All right, cool. I said, I normally walk when I talk. <laughs> I was like, that's a good point, Kara. It's got a chord. You can take it. If, yeah, if that's okay, but this yeah, is fine. I mean, it, you don't have to do, go through any more trouble. Plus, I'm going to be right here by, by my laptop anyway, so it's probably fine.
Hello? Check, 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 check. Hmm? Hello? Is it me you're looking for?
Good evening. I'd like to thank you all for coming out to this evening. Uh, Danny May is with us. He's an author, writer for Owensboro Parent Magazine and Owensboro Living, and he is also the ghost writer for The First Family of Racing by Earl Hayden, about the Hayden Racing family. Uh, Danny is a uh, local talent here in Owensboro, and he will be talking about ghost writing, ghost writing 101. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> and for those of you listening to the podcast, welcome. Glad you could be with us, even though you're not in the room. Still glad that you're here. So first, I wanted to um, show a video that we made that's a promo video like a trailer, a little teaser for the book to kind of explain the first family of racing. So I'm going to start with that. If I'm smart enough to work the mouse. There it is. a little bit about what that book is about. <clears throat> um, so the first family racing really is about that family. But the reason why the family I think is significant, oh, you know what? We still got a video playing, don't we? I need to turn that off. That's Nikki. Okay, and that's MotoGP. If you don't know, <laughs> here we go. If you don't know what MotoGP racing is, that's what that's what it is. It's this kind of motorcycle racing. So those bikes right there go 217. That's Nikki's top speed is 217. That was in uh, Spain, Barcelona, Spain. He was clocked at 217 one year. So anyway, that's what MotoGP is. And he's a world champion in MotoGP one of only a handful of Americans to ever do that. MotoGP is a worldwide racing, motorcycle racing circuit, and it's the, it's the top of the top. You can't get, there's not, it's the biggest you can get in motorcycle racing. It's not very popular in America for whatever reason, but it's very popular overseas in Spain and Italy, um, a lot of countries, but, but the family still lives here in Owensboro. Nikki actually has a house here in Owensboro. He can live anywhere in the world. He still lives here in Owensboro. Um, so the way that this came about for me was, as, as Brian said, I write for Tanner Publishing, which is a magazine publisher here in Owensboro, and we do Owensboro Parent Magazine, Owensboro Living Magazine, and also Go Business Magazine, which is the quarterly for the Chamber of Commerce here in Owensboro. We also just launched Henderson Family Magazine over in Henderson. That's our fourth magazine. So. Um, a couple years ago, I was assigned an article when I was a freelancer for the magazines. I, I write full-time now, and I'm an editor, but at the time, I was a freelancer and had a, a full-time job, and um, I was assigned an article about Earl, 
And Tommy, who is Nikki's older brother, Tommy has several girls. He's raising a family of his own, and he still raced bikes here in the States. So at the time, he's retired since. But the article was for Owensboro Parent, and it was about how Tommy balances being a father with racing, you know, his racing career. And then it's, uh, the article was also about how Earl balances being a father and a grandfather to his kids when several of them are racing all over the world and all over the country, motorcycles every weekend. And so, you know, how do you balance that? How do you stay in contact and, and that kind of stuff? So it was a kind of a multi-generational article with the Father's Day slant. That's how I met the Hayden family, even though I've lived in Owensboro my whole life almost, and, and they have. And I've always heard about them, but never really knew them until that article. So when I met Tommy and then I met Earl because of the article, then I realized that there's way more to that story than you just kind of skim the surface. Earl himself raced motorcycles when he was um, a young man. You know, he went to Brescia University here in Owensboro, and uh, he raced college. He raced motorcycles, I mean, and then his girlfriend, now wife, Rose, she raced motorcycles because <laughs> when the guys were out racing, the girls raced in the powder puff or whatever. So they both raced. And then all five kids, not just the three brothers, but also the two girls. So the entire family raced motorcycles. And then, you know, the three boys stuck with it. They're all three professional motorcycle racers. Tommy, Nikki, and Roger have both won championships in AMA, which is the American Motorcycle Association. So kind of like the NASCAR of motorcycle racing, if you will. And then Nikki, of course, went on to win the world championship in MotoGP in 2006, which would be kind of like the Indy fast cars, you know, to kind of, to kind of um, you know, kind of explain that a little bit. But anyway, Earl is also a cancer survivor. So there's all these different angles to that story, you know. And I just thought that that's, a, that's a good story, a local story that I think really needs to be told. I think it would make a great book. And I had just seen... Um, an ESPN 30 for 30 episode about the Manning brothers, you know, Eli and Peyton, um, the quarterbacks, and their dad was a quarterback um, for the Saints, I believe. So you have this multi-generation, you know, this, this family legacy, this family dynasty in the sports. But I thought, but here's the Haydens with the mom and dad both racing, all five kids racing, and they went on to win the world championship. You can't get bigger than that. And here they are, it's a local story. It's, a, it's an Owensboro story, you know? So I just kind of pitched that idea to Earl, and I said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And, because it's a great story. <clears throat> and he at first wasn't really wild about it, but when he talked to the kids, they all had said, you know, Dad, you're feeling good. You need to do this while you still can, while you're still healthy, you know? And that's really kind of what sold him on it. And so to write the book, I sat down with Earl. Uh, we uh, used my little recorder and recorded a bunch of interviews with Earl. And then the way the book is laid out, each of the kids has their own chapter, which is kind of cool. So as, as you're reading through the table of contents here, you know, there's a, it all starts with Earl growing up for a couple of chapters and then him getting into racing and then Rose. And then, you know, when they start having kids, Earl gets out of racing so he can focus on the kids and, you know, raising the family and everything. And, and then Jenny comes along and, you know, and so anyway, each of the kids have their own chapter. So it's kind of interspersed in the book. So, and of course, it, you know, it leads up to Nikki winning the world championship and, and now it has a grandfather and a cancer survivor. It's kind of their whole life story. But that's how, I, that's how that book was written with interviews. 
And when Nikki was in town, I would meet with him. And when Jenny was in town, I would meet with her and re do the interviews, and then I would type it up for him. So that's just kind of a, how I got involved in ghostwriting. And so to back up a little bit and explain what ghostwriting really is, just like I just said, in, in, in my experience with it, um, it was writing the story for Earl. So I, I literally physically typed out his story for him. And that's what a, the, the most basic definition of ghostwriting is, is basically telling someone else's story for them. It's their story. So Earl is the author, I'm the ghostwriter. And this happens a lot, um, especially for famous people, celebrities, whatever. You know, if you were to walk out in the library and pick up, um, you know, books in the biography section, a lot of times if it's a famous person, you'll see there's, their name is really big on the, <laughs> and then very small print on the bottom with whoever. And that with whoever is the ghostwriter. So, um, so that's kind of what ghostwriting is in a nutshell. But there's different, different styles or different methods of ghost, ghostwriting. I'm gonna come back over here. So the role of a ghostwriter is a ghostwriter, your main duty is to type the manuscript. You type it up for them. And so that's what I was saying. Um, there's several ways to do that. And probably the most popular is the interview, the recorded interview that you go back and write later. There's other ways to do it. Sometimes an author might have a, an idea and a notes, like an outline, bullet points, and just want someone else to write, write it for them. For whatever reason, they just don't want to write it whether they don't feel like they have the, the skills to write, but they want a book written, or if they don't have the time to do it, or um, for a, another reason, they just maybe don't have the self-confidence to do it, but they can definitely talk, they can definitely tell their story. So, or, or maybe they might not be physically able to write it, but in, in any case, they hire someone else or get someone else to write it for them. <clears throat> Sometimes you'll see an author may have written a first book that did very well, and then to continue the series of books, they will hire a ghostwriter to kind of finish it out for them. You know, um, that happens a lot with authors when they, when they reach a very, <laughs> very high level where um, they're writing, you know, they publish every year and they're a very well-known name, you know, um, Janet Ivanovich and Tom Clancy and those kinds of people. So once they kind of have their style and their brand and their name known for writing and, and their style of writing, then they can very easily hand that off to somebody else who will write in their style for them. And so sometimes a ghostwriter will actually, you know, it's almost like a, a famous writer will, will loan their name and somebody else actually writes it for them and it, they kind of carry it out that way. So that's another way that ghostwriting happens sometimes. So that, that that person's not actually writing a book every year, although it seems like they are, but it's still their book because it's their, their idea, their style, you know, they're the writing that they're known for. <clears throat> so why would you want to be a ghostwriter? There's a lot of reasons, but one reason would, would be if you're an introvert, you may, maybe you're not a people person, you know, you, you enjoy the actual, the actual writing part more so than the getting out there and promoting and, and coming up with ideas and the, the pressure of selling your own book and your own idea and marketing and all of that, you know, but you actually like the storytelling part and the writing part. And that would, ghostwriting would be perfect for that because 
you're telling someone else's story. It's not all on your shoulders, you know? So that would be for one. And also, as a ghostwriter, you still get the creative part of, of telling a story, you know? So that's, really, that's the reason why I think ghostwriting really appeals to me is because I'm just a story guy. I, d I like to read stories. I like to tell stories. And I'm, it just kind of fits my nature. I'm, I'm a biography guy. I'm an autobiography guy. History, you know? I'm not the sci-fi or the, you know... I like things that really happen. I like people who really existed. And so that, that's what I enjoy, you know? And so as a ghostwriter, I get to help somebody else tell their story in the way that they want it to be told. And I get to be a part of that. And so that's, that's pretty neat. That's exciting to me. So so then we talk about how does it work and getting down to the nuts and bolts of it and, the, and payment and things like that. So there's a couple different ways for payment scenarios. First time, first way is um, a ghostwriter is paid by a percentage of sales. So that's one thing about ghostwriting is typically the author would have the, the publishing cost, the printing cost, and then the ghostwriter is hired to actually write the book. So that can be done either in a percentage, and typically a 10% or 15% of sales would be the scenario for that. So that's one way to do it. Another way would be that the ghostwriter is paid per word or per page. And so the percentage scenario is an advantage for the ghostwriter if they feel like there's going to be a lot of copies sold. You know, if, if the, the author is somebody that's well-known or has a, a following anyway, then that, that advantage would be for the ghostwriter to have a percentage. But then the thing is, if they don't have a well-known name, and there's not many sales and you don't get very much <laughs> money because there's no percentage of you know not much sales so another way to do it would be to get paid per word or per page and that would be better for small quantities you know if, it's, if the if the book's not going to be a bestseller <laughs> then it's definitely better for to be paid per per word or per page rather than a guarantee it on a percentage and then another way that some ghostwriters use is to be paid incrementally which is where you would get a lump sum up front and then maybe another lump sum in the middle and then another lump sum at the end whenever the book is finished. And so that's also to the advantage of the ghostwriter because you would get guaranteed money. It wouldn't be based on a percentage of sales, which may or may not be very much. So there's different ways that you can work that out financially. And the <laughs> number one rule is to definitely have that all worked out, communicated between the author and the ghostwriter, you know, so that it's very clear up front, so that there's, there's just no confusion when it comes down to payment. So another question a lot of people have is how do you find clients if you want to be a ghostwriter? And so what I would say is to look around you and, and see if there's local people that are um, celebrities or well-known people that have a story to tell, that haven't told it yet, that would have a readership and so sometimes it's just a matter of getting out there and finding it and, and hustling and, and putting yourself out there and, and finding that person and, and helping them with the story. Sometimes professors or, or people who, um, you can find people like that too, professors or um, lawyers or anything like that. So one way would be to, like I was saying, to pro 
to propose the book to them. And then the other way is to just market yourself as a writer and as a ghostwriter. And then when people hear about that, sometimes they'll just approach you. And it kind of comes from the other direction, direction, you know. Actually, a couple of weeks ago when I was here at the library at the Indie Author Fair, I met a woman who was telling me that, that she is actually in the middle of ghostwriting a book right now. And that's exactly what happened with her was that some people that she knew knew that she was a writer and they knew somebody who wanted a book but couldn't write it and wanted a ghostwriter. And so they just got her in contact with that woman. And so it was just a word of mouth thing, you know? And so you just kind of take those opportunities as they come. And if you'd rather ease your way into ghostwriting without really committing to a book, there are ways to find work um, as a freelancer, basically the same thing, but, and then build up from there. You know, there's, there's sites like Fiverr, Upwork, Freelancer.com, and, and other things like that, that you can actually find eBooks where you, you could write them. And, and so it wouldn't be like a, a full, you know, a huge book or a novel. It'd be more like just a small eBook. But that's a great way to get started into ghostwriting, and then you kind of work your way up from there. And then definitely, like I said a minute ago, anytime you can network with other writers, that's a good thing. So if you can get involved in writing groups at libraries or anything like that, that's definitely just gonna help get your name out and get your name known. And then you can, it's just networking, people who know people, and that's how things happen usually. And the thing about that is too, that you'll get testimonies and referrals, and that's always helpful for people. But I really think the number one, no, number one thing is, I've always heard, heard it said that good work gets more work, you know? When you do a good job on something, then people talk about it and it, the word spreads and then you have other opportunities come along. Is that making sense so far? If you ever have a question, let me know because I like questions. We can talk a little bit more. There are a couple of things you can do to kind of build your value as a ghostwriter and make it a little bit more enticing to an author. And one of those is to offer more services. You know, there's a, and again, it's all about being clear and, and communicating up front what their expectations are and what your expectations are. But there are some authors who may want someone to just really just write the manuscript and that's it. But if you can kind of sell yourself that you have more to bring to the table than that, maybe you can help them market it a little bit or you can kind of coach them in the whole process because there's a lot that goes into the printing and publishing side after you have the book written. So if you're done when the writing is done, that's one thing. But if you're going to help with the printing and the publishing and the marketing, then that's a whole other thing. So if you are willing and able to do that, that might be more enticing to an author than just somebody to just type it. So that's something to keep in mind. <coughs> So for example, with, with Earl, um, who was my first client, I kind of coached him all the way along. And we, we decided to use a local printer, well not local in Owensville, it was a printer in Louisville. But I did that rather than using an online service, a print on demand service, because we wanted to have a personal connection and be able to run up there and ask questions. And you know, there's a lot of details that go into printing a book so there was a lot of back and forth between me and the printer, but I did that for the author. I didn't, he didn't have to worry about any of that. I handled all of that. And so I was kind of the liaison between the printer, the book printer and publisher and 
the author. So, but that's not always the case. I have a, another client that we haven't finished the project yet, but this client is very hands-on and wants to make a lot of the decisions. And so we talk about that, but I wasn't done with just the writing. Like when the writing was done, that was only half of the project with the first client. But with the second client, once the writing was done, they kind of took it from there, and they made a lot of the decisions themselves. They wanted to be more hands-on. So either way, it's all about just being clear upfront and communicating what your expectations are and what their expectations are. But that can be a selling point to you as a ghostwriter, how involved you really want to be in the whole process. And again, that can change case to case, you know, client to client, author to author. For example, sometimes, you know, I've made several appearances where I've talked about ghostwriting and where I've taken Earl's book for him, basically, to writing workshops and things like that, where he doesn't want to really do that, but it's a book that I think a lot of people will be interested in, so I want to help him in doing that, too. And plus, as a side note, the proceeds from this book are going to charity, so I like that aspect of it, too. But whereas another author may want to do all of the marketing on their own, they, want to, they might want to do all of their appearances, and they, they may rightfully do that because they are the author. Where, you know, It's not typical that a ghostwriter would be promoting the author's book, but it makes sense in this case. It may not make sense in the next case. So it's, you know, it's different scenario to scenario. Making sense so far? Yes. And that's, that goes back to the word of mouth thing, like I was saying a while ago. You know, it's once Earl's book came out and people heard about it, then they thought, hey, I've always wanted to write a book, and then they'll call me up. And that's just kind of the way that that happened. And so it's just kind of grown from there. It was never really something that I was promoting myself. It's just that people heard about it and called me up, and and there are two projects that w I've started since this one, and neither one of them are finished yet. And then there's a couple other people that have inquired, have been very interested, but the timing's not right or whatever. So they're in the process. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? That's a really good question. The question was, in the interview process, are the questions predetermined, or do you just kind of come up with them as you go? That's basically how you said it, right? Okay. What I did with all three of these scenarios so far is <clears throat> the first step for me and the author was to, in each three cases, was to figure out the scope of the book. That was number one. You know, what, what is this book going to be about? And then from there, I kind of came up with, mostly with her help too, but part of my job as a ghostwriter, I feel, was to, to get this big idea into a book. And so a book has chapters and sections and a flow to it. 
you know, a beginning, an end, obviously, and then the good stuff in the middle. So part of the fun part for me as a ghostwriter is, is to, to figure out what of this big story is really the good beginning and how do we end it and then where does it all fit in the middle? So I, I came up with the flow of chapters. So to answer your question, what I'm getting at is we kind of knew what the, dis what the conversation or what the discussion or how the story was going to go based on chapter one is going to be this. So start talking about this. Go. And that was really kind of how it was, at least in the beginning of each session. So I, I viewed it as interview one is roughly chapter one. And if we don't go through, if we don't get through it, then we'll come back to it. But I know where we left off this first interview and where we need to pick up the second interview. Okay? So I did have, to, to, to fully answer your question, I did have questions in mind, but I would say more important it was what do we want the author to get across in this interview? You know? So, for example, with Earl, I knew that he's going to start with, I was born in Reed, Kentucky, <laughs> you know? And so, tell me about that. And it was just, and then the way it worked with him is he literally would, would talk and he'd say, okay, what's next? And so then I'd say, well, and I'd go in with the next question. Where it's not always that cut and dry, blank, beginning and end, but it's just that way with me and Earl. So it was a lot of fun. But I hope that answers your question. Okay, good question. It's definitely a fluid thing. It's hard to put a time frame on it because you just have to know when you get it. I mean, when you get the story, when you get the chapter, I guess. And then one of, one of the clients that I mentioned, that's the reason why this, this project has taken so long is that the first time through, we really didn't get it. So we had to go back. And so it didn't fall into, all the pieces didn't fall into place as easily that time. So, and then the other, other, other project I was referring to is totally, completely different. It was more like three sections. It wasn't really chapter one, two, and three. It was more like, um, I mean, just, it was more of a concept book. So it wasn't like a life story. It was more like, well, three sections. So, and we're, two, we're done, we're through the writing process of two of those, but haven't started the third yet. So, yeah. It's, so like I say, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to generalize because it really is different client to client, or pr project to project, you know, case to case. Stop. No. I would say the writing process or the the uh, interview process was probably six or seven months, I think, and then there was um, writing, obviously, and then the rough draft and sent it to him. So the way that works is now that you brought that up, is a good point. It was I, I write it, email it back to him, he reads it, he's not, and then he definitely this is what I meant to say, or I'd rather say it this way. And so there's a lot of back and forth. It's definitely not a rough draft, second draft, third draft. It was just, I don't know. You, you just work it back and forth until you get it. Yeah. But 
No, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, oh, I didn't repeat the question for the podcast. Sorry, podcast guy, <laughs> people. I mean, um, the Kara's question was, uh, oh, the time frame. What was the time frame? Yeah, the time frame for the interviews was probably six to eight months, and then the entire writing, rewriting, printing, editing, I think it was right around a year from start to finish. So that was the first question. Second question was, do we have questions for each chapter, for each recording session, recording time? And yes, that, that's exactly how it was. And we just, it just kind of roughly worked out to an hour, hour and a half, or two per chapter is kind of what we worked on. And so when we were done for that day, that's it. We wrapped it up and came back another time. Which, you know, if, if you had a whole day, like there was, an, there was another time where, where I was talking with another author about, hey, you're going to be on a flight or you're going to be driving to Louisville. So you're going to have two hours in the car. So let me just sit there with you and we'll, we'll talk. and <laughs> We'll use your time wisely, you know. And so it, it's just you make it work however you can make it work. But, yeah, good question. Anything else in the crowd? Were all the interviews face to face? So far, they have been, except for no. Actually, they have been. They have been. But Skype would definitely work. You mentioned Skype. There's probably other programs that allow you. You know, even FaceTime on your phone would work. I've actually found several different apps that will record phone conversations for you, which is awesome because then you can go back and record. You know, type it up from that. So. The, the recorder, I, I should have brought it with me. I didn't bring it with me, but the recorder I bought is nothing fancy. It's just a very basic, I got it at Kmart, and it comes with software. It came with a USB, so I, could, I would record and plug it right into the computer, and it would pop up, and I would just transcribe as it's playing back. So it was like, you know, it was very easy to do it that way. But that was before, I, <laughs> I think that was before I had a voice recorder on my phone like I do now, so... I, you, that works out just as well, you know. Is there you're. Yeah, you could. There's paid subscriptions that will transcribe for you. Yeah. And there's a there's an advantage to that. That would be a lot less time intensive. But I found that I liked to hear the playback and edit the. It's come almost like you're doing the first edit on the playback. You know what I mean? It goes from what, what comes into my ear, out my fingertips typing, is I can change it a little bit right then, rather than if someone else, or I'm, I'm paying whoever to transcribe for me, then I would lose that. You know what I mean? So that's just the way that I like to do it. The, well, I just had a little bit of advice, a, a few more, just a few more things real quick. I definitely, I've said it several times, but communication is key. You gotta be clear and you need to communicate from the very beginning what the author's expectations are and what your expectations are as a ghostwriter. And that's absolutely number one. And then definitely signing a contract is very wise. I would definitely highly recommend that. And then beyond that, my best advice is to just learn to recognize a good story and always have, as a ghostwriter, I mean, as any writer really, 
And even as somebody who writes poetry, I mean, it's, if you can train yourself, your eyes and your ears to always be ready for that good story or that good spark of an idea, you know what I mean? And it could be something as simple as whatever TV show you're watching or a song that you're hearing or a conversation that you're having. You never know what might spark an inspiration that could be a poem, right? Or for me, it was when I was doing this article with Tommy and Earl, and I just went, man, that's a cool story. That's a book right there. And you know, it, I was just, so training your, your eyes and your ears to, to learn and to recognize a good story is definitely part of it. And that's true with any kind of writing. And then I would also just say to, to start with your own interests and your own passions, you know, whatever excites you, start there as far as what might be your inroad to ghostwriting, because it might be right in front of your eyes, like it kind of was for me. So did you have another question? I thought I saw a hand in the crowd in the back there. Thank you. Okay, the question in the back was, how much do you influence the author with ideas and crafting the story? He used the example of graphic artists and, you know, um, that's a great question. So, I see it as, from a ghostwriter's perspective, I kind of look at it like a writing coach because I do have experience and they don't typically. So you just try to help, help them along, but I would never change their story. That, that's, that's the line. The line would be helping them, but never changing the story for them. So, and that might be the answer right there, really. But I do think it's okay. I mean, and, and even when I'm helping them, it's a back and forth. It's what do you think about this? You know, how, can we try this? because you're really wanting to pull their story out of them and to get it on paper the best way that it can be presented. So it's there, it's theirs, it's, it's already there. You're just kind of helping them get it out and put it on paper. And then, but the bottom line is, is, is never in any way kind of an influence or an argue, argument or anything like that because <laughs> the final say is clearly theirs. You know, I mean, it's their story, so they're the author. So, but to present it in a way that makes sense to you as a writer, as a ghost writer, hopefully that helps them be able to articulate a little bit better. And if it helps the story, it helps the story. And if it doesn't, trash it and try something else. So, yeah. It has been verbal at this point, but I would highly recommend to anybody else to definitely get a contract signed and written. Yeah. And I'm just kicking myself because all, all three of these, the situations that I'm in, we've said that from the very beginning, that we're gonna do that. And we just haven't for whatever reason. And it's been fine, but 
we are <laughs> both parties agree that's the death that we need to do that and we just never got around to it it's kind of that's a lame excuse isn't it but i definitely would would recommend and that's why i, I say that so strongly that i definitely would recommend recommend to do that because i'm playing with fire there so yeah You good? Okay. Yeah, I've started a website about a year ago called The Writing Curve, and the intent is to sharpen the learning curve for writers. And my idea for the website is for it to be a place where writers can get resources. Some of them are free and some of them are paid resources. Um, but also to be an online community to where writers can help each other out. And so we started a Facebook page, and we try to share things back and forth. And it's something that I'm really hoping will grow over time and other writers will get involved with. But a lot of what I just shared is if you go to thewritingcurve.com and then look under resources, the resources tab, it's kind of specified by freelancing resources, authors or novelists, ghostwriters, and reporters. And if you click on ghostwriters, there's a downloadable resource right there, which is pretty much what I presented tonight. And so, Mackenzie, I got your email because I'll send that to you and anybody else that would like that. But there's other things coming down the, down the pike. So that's what the writing curve is all about. So, yes. And there should be a link right there. Yep, the writing curve on Facebook. I think it's also the writing curve. Yeah, the writing curve on Twitter and Facebook. So check it out, it might help you, I hope it does. Well, thank you. And podcasters, if you have any questions, you can always email me, find me at the writing curve or on Facebook, message me and would love to hear your questions and, and get you some answers, so. Thank you, podcasters. Really? Are we still recording or? Yeah. Are we done?